Price, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry can future-proof against rising social risks and lead the world into the energy future. As always, I'm Tisha Schuler, your host and the principal of Adamantine Energy. Everyone in our industry is facing massive disruption. And so this season, I'm speaking with people in our industry and adjacent to it who have responded by becoming disruptors themselves. And we're going to spend the season finding out how they do it, why they do it, and what we can learn from them. Today's show is just delightful. I speak with Maynard Holt, who many of you know. He's the CEO of Tudor Pickering Holt, and he hosts the company's COB Tuesday podcast, which we talk about. He has served as a managing director at Goldman Sachs, and we talked about, had a wide-ranging conversation, and including near the end, we talk about what the role of bad ideas is in creating an inclusive culture and creating an innovative culture. So that's something for you to look forward to. You can learn more about the Energy Thinks podcast and our work at Adam and Team at our website, energythinks.com. And you can learn more about Maynard's impressive biography and get links to everything we discuss in the show notes. Now here's my conversation with game-changing leader, Maynard Holt. Maynard, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on the Energy Things podcast. Well, thanks so much, Tisha. It's great to be with you. You joined us. We owe you overall. We're all big Tisha Schuler fans here. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I love that. And I love putting you on the other side of the mic because you're in our ears every week. And so, but you ask the question. So this is going to be really fun. There's a lot of things I have been wanting to ask you. And we'll jump into the first one, which is I've always thought of TPH as an oil and gas focused company. But as I listen to TPH every week, religiously, I really see the pivot to focusing on the entire world of energy. Can you talk about about that pivot? Yeah, sure. You know, I I think it's because because you think back to the early days of the firm, you know, one, one of the things that uh, Dan Pickering was our uh, original secret sauce, right? And, and Dan was just a curious, technical, energy loving mind. That's what mm-hmm. he was. And, and, and you know, he, he liked to just dig and he liked to talk candidly and you know you had a little humor on friday and so i think that culture it just we as a company because you know about a third of our people worked in industry you know we're up to about 150 people total and so my point is there's sort of a curiosity to the place you know the research guys mm-hmm. publish every day the the banking team deals with private companies public companies big small you know i like to say we do business with ranchers and we do business with super major so there's mm-hmm. a, there's always a an element of going to the new new thing like of stuff, finding stuff, unraveling stuff, unpacking stuff, trying to figure stuff out. And I think because we have sort of that, it's almost like an energy bloodhound kind of DNA, mm-hmm. we, we we end up looking like the world because we're kind of constantly following the, the world. You know, it's sort of it's sort of the personality of the place. So rather mm-hmm. than I think, you know, one model is we sat down and said, let's go this way. I think the reality is we started feeling things changing and we started going with it. If, if that makes sense. It does. And did it create that pivot is what a lot of oil and gas companies are thinking about. Are we oil and gas companies and, and do we defend our, our incumbent position or are we transitioning into energy companies? Was there a cultural hurdles to that, to, to this, this broader energy look that you, that you changed to? You know, yes and no. I can, I can think of examples of, of both. If I, if I said no, uh, no change, uh, that would just be because, you know, similar to what I was saying in the first answer, you know, we're just, we're curious, we're finding and, and okay, we, you know, we were watching R&D budget 
markets. We're talking to science people. We're meeting startup companies, you know, and you're just kind of going with the flow. So in that sense, no cultural change, not not a hard adaptation. But I do remember, you know, if you go back to 2014 or 15, if you brought up Tesla around here, there would be some people who'd say, who'd be cynical about it and say, you know what, that runs on coal, mm-hmm, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, you could get that answer. And, you know, mm-hmm. yes, technically, obviously, we understand power's got to come from somewhere. But I would say that that, that kind of, in, that little kind of whatever you'd call that, that little gut reaction, mm-hmm. I don't see it anymore. And what I what I do see that's, that's quite interesting, I know this is a topic you've talked about, is a lot of our younger people, and that now means like, you know, under 35, mm-hmm. you notice that they're they're really drawn to the new, new thing. And they almost in a way that they, the new, new thing for them, they have excitement for it and confidence in it until proven otherwise, right? Mm. And the, that whole kind of comment I gave you from before, that was, I'm skeptical and I don't believe the new, new thing until I'm proven otherwise. So I would say that's a little bit of a cultural shift. But otherwise, you know, this whole thing feels like the new energy effort, if you will, that just feels mm-hmm. like today's exploration department. So instead yes, of, instead of mm-hmm. guys with seismic and, you know, geologists and explorers and, you know, prospects, you have your base of production or your base pipeline or your base activities. And then instead of having that quote, classic exploration, mm-hmm. now you have a new kind of exploration, which is, hey, what's happening with CO2? What's happening with hydrogen? What's happening with, you know, however we might improve our product or complement our product or even go into the new, new thing. So some of this actually feels as dynamic and different as it feels. It starts to feel remarkably similar to kind of, you know, how we've always been. So you, you you said so many things that are interesting to me and making me think a little differently. Your paradigm about today's exploration department is really powerful. So stay tuned, everyone. I'm going to be doing some thinking on that. And then you also hit on a generational divide, which I've never thought about like that. Like our generation, the Gen Xers and, and beyond to our boomer buddies were initially skeptical and the Gen Z millennials are like, yes, let's go. Prove to me it's not going to work. So that generational divide is really interesting. So thank you for bringing that up. And this all highlights what I love about your podcast, COB Tuesdays, which has really become the go-to industry don't miss weekly listen. And one of the things I love about it is that you are normalizing these conversations and making them more comfortable for companies that are new because there still are a lot of peer play. If you're like a an oil EMP company or if you're a midstream gas pipeline, like why are we having these conversations? But you're creating a, a place where we can go have them and think about what does this mean to all different companies? So can you talk about where did COB Tuesdays come from? And and are you enjoying it? I mean, I know you are, but tell us about it. Well, you were very generous, particularly in light of all the success you're having and the uniqueness of what you're bringing to this whole conversation. When people ask me for, hey, who should speak at my board retreat, you know, next, whenever it is, I say Tisha Schuler, uh, because you you really get people thinking. The COB uh, thing, it, it kind of came out of two things. I think we started observing around here. This is the <laughs> typical delivery mechanism for analysis. Finder. And as you mm-hmm. can tell, and so we started, uh, whether it's research or banking, et cetera, we started three or four years ago working with video and finding that, you know, the video messages have to be tighter. They have to be 
more concise, but they can obviously be delivered conveniently, easily shared. There's a lot, video has a lot going for it and it can be highly complementary, you know, to a traditional kind of information analysis type business. So we kind of had the video bug. And then the second thing that happened is when, um, you know, it was March that weekend when the Russians and the Saudis decided they didn't like each other anymore. And I kind of grabbed a couple of the research guys and was like, hey, what the heck? We probably, the whole world is is wondering what happened here. Can we just turn on the camera and can you just, just tell? And then, mm-hmm. you know, I can play the role like the audience and say, hey, can you just, you know, please. Okay. What did you just say? You know, I can sort of play interpreter. And so we did it and it was a Monday and it was so depressing because, you know, oil had dropped. I mean, it was just the most depressing video ever. So at the end of it, we said, okay, that's terrible. Let's come back and do it tomorrow. So that's why I closed the business <laughs> Monday became closed the business Tuesday. And then, then I think we, because people really appreciated it, we mm-hmm. started kind of thinking about, well, gosh, we should get someone to, um, to come on, you know, someone that we mm-hmm. don't know, someone that could add something to this discussion. And then it kind of became this weekly curiosity tour. And one thing that's interesting is you, this has been our experience, you know, because this energy transition stuff, energy policy, energy culture, technology, regulatory policy, you know, all all these things, they defy your ability to just go out and hire someone and say, okay, you just study that the whole time. Well, it's constantly changing. You know, it doesn't. So my point is all that stuff really lends itself to weekly find a smart person mm-hmm. who's willing to talk about it and just go on a just go on a knowledge tour. And um, mm-hmm. but my point was what's been shocking is and I've had people ask me this is, you know, you tend to think like, well, aren't you going to run out of material? Aren't you going to run mm-hmm. out of people to talk to? And the irony is if you find one interesting person, they know two more and then those mm-hmm. two know four more. And so what happens is that the list, it's ridiculous, the list we have around here of people we would love to have talk, you know, just to learn, it just keeps growing. Like today I was talking to someone and we were talking about the, uh, this week, the uh, International Renewable Energy Agency director is going to come on. And so we're just prepping. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that, you know, two of the flavors that are kind of controversial, even though they are, quote, renewable, are hydro and nuclear. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is kind of silly, but I wrote to myself, I was like, we should do a hydro show. I mean, when was the last mm-hmm. time somebody really talked about hydro? Right. That gets me to the last point, and then I'll stop talking to you, I swear. <laughs> but, but, but here's what's funny. I mean, there is a, we get excited about that. Like, I, I, we think an hour-long hydro show, like, that's really exciting. This is a relatively unique thing. The community of people that get real excited about, oh my God, a one-hour hydro show, that sounds so exciting. So, <laughs> I, I just think we're kind of, you know, for lack of a better way to describe we're energy nerds and we love this stuff and we have fun with it. And, you know, it's kind of like once a week, we just try to learn something. And then, you know, the rest of the week we're working like everybody else. But uh, anyway, long story short, the thing that won't die now <laughs> and we enjoy doing it. And we've met a lot of fun, interesting people. Like I would not know you if it weren't for that thing. It's really made us, uh, you know, better people. What we're learning is that energy geeks like us, if you see one, there's six more in the wall, like mice in, my, in the cabin I live in in the mountains. <laughs> so we know you're out there energy geeks and we want you to just spend more time with us. So at the beginning of each of your shows, you do a little round robin that I love. And I listen to all my podcasts on one and a half speed because I got a lot to do. But when Colin talks about ESG, I have to slow it down to one because that man puts some details in. So I'm curious if from your vantage point as the, the host and the moderator, do you see some recurring blind spots that we can help companies identify when they're thinking about their ESG strategy? Or are you learning things? Because this is something, it was like a 
thing you had to do and kind of box you had to check. But now ESG is culturally central to how oil and gas companies are thinking about the energy future. What are your observations that when a board asks you, hey, Maynard, what might our blind spots, what do you think about? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I mean, I I think that uh, one blind spot we kind of all have, whether you're a manager, director, research analyst, advisor, whatever your role is, is, and you point this out, Tisha, a lot in your stuff, but it would be, it's pretty easy sometimes to say some of this stuff, whatever this stuff is, right? This stuff could refer to a lot of some of this stuff is not rational. It doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. Okay. And, and, and that is definitely true. The problem is if you go too far in that direction, you kind of, you pull in, you pull away from it, you ignore it, mm-hmm. you, because it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And I think what we all have to do when, when we see that stuff or when we have that moment, we have to remind ourselves, okay, but that, that stuff, whatever that is, it's not going away. That is a reality of the landscape. And what we need to do is either figure out how we're going to make that stuff work for us or mm-hmm. figure out how we're going to pull the world in a different direction or uh, we can't retreat uh, because as of you know that stuff. And so I think this is energy people, you know, you, you kind of have to watch that. And the other thing you have to remind yourself, and I think this is really interesting around the technology conversation, is, you know, in the 1980s, the shale made no sense. Mm-hmm. Not zero. It was like maybe a, a tax-driven, write-off-driven science project, right, at, at best. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, wow you know, what happened? So we always have to remind ourselves that so many times in energy, we're looking at trends and saying, well, you know, we're all thinking the same thing. So mm-hmm. group group think is something you have to be careful of. So I think we've really got to be open to technologies. We've really got to, these things that, that we say, well, that doesn't make sense. We really can't just dismiss them. We've got to really put them up on the rack and understand them better. And I think some of these things, like you referenced CSG, some of it's a little bit uh, cultural, which is mm-hmm. you could take your ES, you could take the fact that, okay, we need to do an ESG report. And you could say, well, you know, investors, you know, want to check that box. And, you know, I need to do a decent job and I got to get that done. And, you know, this is kind of another like homework I have to do. So I have to do some extra homework. And then, okay, Jack did that. Nice glossy pictures. And, you know, I'm back in the game. Okay. And, you know, that you just have to get work done sometimes. But I think, you know, there can be another philosophy, which is, okay, look, we're about to do this thing and it's going to take a lot of time and energy and resources. Why is our company going to be a better company? company when we're mm-hmm. done with this thing. So mm-hmm. maybe we need to get different people involved. Maybe we need to ask different questions. Maybe we need to, how do we take this thing instead of, because this is like one of those reality things again, because it's easy mm-hmm. to be cynical about ESG because a lot of it, you know, doesn't make sense. But right. but philosophically, if you say, we're going to find a way to do this, but on the other end of this thing, we not only check the box, this thing, you know, this is going to draw more people to our company. This is going to be a calling card of our company. Mm-hmm. This, we're going to go on offense with this thing, you know, whatever it is. And so mm-hmm. um, I think I just think, I don't know, a board meeting is a good example, right? Like in a way, a board meeting is like, oh, God, we got to meet with the board again. <laughs> uh, you know, you can have that attitude or you can say, right. hey, I got like I got like 10 to 12 really smart people and, you know, I'm paying them and they're on my team. So what am I going to get out? I want something good out of this meeting. And so, uh, I don't know, that's a, that's a, uh, just happened to be on my mind uh, talking to a CEO friend yesterday. But uh, anyway, I, I think that's the, the hazard is being cynical is probably the hazard. Yeah. I love um, a couple of things you brought out. One is how much this is a personal mind exercise in terms of leaders accepting the irrationality of a lot of the conversation around energy and us energy nerds just want to like get back to like the math and the physics 
So what can be done and what's realistic? But there is this whole world science world of behavioral economics that can help us understand how people make decisions. And so that's a, a way that I try to take our geekiness and apply it to the irrationality. Like we know there's a lot of data that can tell us how to deal with people who are making irrational decisions, as long as we understand that we are also making irrational decisions. <laughs> so that's such an interesting idea you brought up. The 2021 shareholder proxy season held important lessons for oil and gas companies, with investors imposing new demands on targeted firms. What does all this mean for your company? Adam and Teen's latest white paper gives you our top-line proxy season insights. Download it today at energythinks.com backslash papers. That's energythinks.com backslash papers. And now, back to the show. Let's talk about a, a subset of ESG, um, which I'm curious if you've been addressing within your company or within COB, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. So the climate energy debates are a, one big component, but another thing we're spending a lot of time with our clients on is building this multi-decade commitment to creating companies that are diverse, that are equitable, that are inclusive, and that are engaging in the communities in which we operate in, in ways that, that are important to us to create long-term prosperity long-term equity. Is this something on your radar? Is this something you're working on within your own firm? I'd love to hear how you guys are thinking about this and if it, if it's something that you're seeing as an emerging disruption in the way that, that we are. Yeah, I guess there's so much in this topic. Maybe I'll just kind of pull out a couple things. Uh, one is, oh, this was share an experience I had that was pretty uh, interesting. You know, I was just thinking hard about how we get more women uh, in the firm. Mm-hmm. And, and we're blessed. We, we have a, just a ton of these really incredible, you know, just fantastic women. So one of the associates, uh, she, she and I had breakfast and, and I just asked her, this gets back to the question of like, just ask, you know, like don't mm-hmm. hunker down with your recruiting firm and, and your, your mm-hmm. internal people and write memos and, you know, I'll call all that stuff fine, but like, you know, just ask, like go see how you make it better. And so she and I were talking and I asked her, I said, you know, what could I do to make the firm a, a better place where, where more women would want to work? I, you know, I thought it was a pretty mm-hmm. straightforward question. And her response, which I've never forgotten, I thought it was quite interesting. She said, I think what you'll find is you're kind of calibrated in the wrong way. Make the firm a better place for everybody to work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you will that's how you will get more women and get more diversity mm-hmm. and get more, you know, unique uh, mm-hmm. people wanting to work there. I thought it was a really good comment. You know, I think the other thing we, we think about uh, on this issue is uh, so often it seems like in these, uh, the diversity discussion, it, it's a large, in large part, it's a conversation about the people you don't have, mm-hmm. right? It's a mm-hmm. conversation about the people you don't have. How do I get them? And it seems like you need to recalibrate a little. And this is something we think about, which is, wait a minute. What about the people you do have? Mm-hmm. You do already mm-hmm. have, you know, diverse people working with you. You may not have as many as you want, but what are you doing mm-hmm. for them? How are you growing mm-hmm. them? Like, how are, mm-hmm. how are you listening to them so that your place does draw more and develop in the way you want? So I think that's been a second uh, observation mm-hmm. on all this for us. I think probably the thing that I have found the most interesting in the discussion has been the, is the inclusion part mm-hmm. of that whole thing and how mm-hmm. important that is. Like when you say equity, I think of equity a little bit in an economic sense, but mm-hmm. what I think of it in a broader sense of is, is teamwork. 
It's like, mm-hmm. for some reason, we're aligned. We're all aligned, mm-hmm. and everybody has a stake in that. Mm-hmm. But the inclusion thing, what we have always had that I think is really important to this discussion is inclusion means I really want to know everyone's opinion. I really want mm-hmm. to be hearing from people. And I'm just using the word mm-hmm. I as in, you know, my meetings, my projects, but all the leadership has to be mm-hmm. saying, as the leader of this project, this account, this effort, this part of the firm, whatever it is, I want to know what everybody thinks. I want to mm-hmm. know. So inclusion inclusion is the key to delivering a good service. It's the key to delivering a good opinion to somebody. It's the key to not missing something. It's the mm-hmm. key to maybe thinking outside the box. Because, you know, the person who doesn't talk in the meeting is most likely to be the person who disagrees with what's being said, mm-hmm. most likely to have a different idea, mm-hmm. or most likely to not talk unless you call them. So that quiet mm-hmm. person is, this is, feels like, uh, let's make a deal. That quiet person is curtain number three. What's behind curtain mm-hmm. number three is really powerful. So you got to make sure you go get it. So I just have found the inclusion discussion to be very powerful. It's, it's something that we have always, you know, really, really believed in. It's funny, one of the guys I worked with, this was a a while ago, but he pulled me aside one day and he said, could you stop sharing so much? Like, you make me agitated, you know, like you you share, you know, if you have a doubt about something, a concern about something, an idea, like you just share. And it was kind of funny. And I I just said, well, okay, I'll work on that and not oversharing. But I think people over-informing, over-including, not surprising, pulling opinions out of every possible place. And then obviously having, you've got to go to places in a kink when it comes to diversity, whether whatever the diversity is, or whether it's background or, or race or gender or, you know, just whatever that perspective mm-hmm. that comes from a quote, different flavor it's, it's mm-hmm. so valuable because, you know, somebody's going to think of something you didn't. And the biggest problem yeah. in corporate America is groupthink. It's the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. Groupthink. Yeah. So if you really want to have a better service and a better opinion, you got to make sure you don't have groupthink. And, you know, we, we you anticipated my next question with that. So that's really interesting. One of the umbrellas you're providing for this thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion is making the company a better place for everyone to work means that one-on-one connection, willingness to engage uncomfortable conversations and willingness to hear things we weren't expecting or didn't want to hear so that we can be better and make a better place. And I see a lot of this tension actually happening in this generational divide. Like, but if we bring millennials to the, to these important tables, which of course I advocate for their ideas are crazy town. Like, yeah, they are to us, but maybe they're exactly what we need. Can you talk a little bit about strategies to avoid group think in addition to, you know, trying to solicit voices because that is, is huge. And that's like a nice line, like a cliche, like avoid groupthink, but it is so hard to put into practice because groupthink is what it's like our comfort zone. It's what we all want to get at every meeting. We want to end in like some sort of comfortable consensus. How do you foster this evolution with you as a leader? Well, I think the most obvious way to do it is just to put yourself out there, which is you, you know, this is kind of something we talk about around here. It is impossible to only have good ideas. That is impossible. If you say Mm -hmm. I'm an eye culture, but I only want to have good ones. Okay. Well, you know, you're going to have to have bad ideas. You know, you're going to have to 
you're going to have to have them. You're going to have to be guilty of having them, right? But I, I think mm-hmm. it's, so it's a couple of things on your on your thing. One is a leadership has to show it is willing to throw out what might be a bad idea and then get feedback mm-hmm. on it and say, you're right, that's a bad idea. But leadership's yeah. got to be willing to do that. If you want other people to throw out ideas, some percentage mm-hmm. of which will be good, the only way you're going to get them to throw ideas out there is to say it's okay to have a bad idea because mm-hmm. we want more ideas. So, you know, it's like exploration mm-hmm. prospect. You can't only have good ones. You got to have mm-hmm. a lot of them and then you got to pick the best ones. So if you want idea generation, you can't be afraid to have a bad idea. And leadership has to show that it, it'll do it, you know, it's willing to do it. Like it's willing to say, mm-hmm. hey, I, I, got, I got a crazy idea. Yeah, you guys are right. It's crazy. But I think the second thing is one is the purpose of the organization. So mm-hmm. like if the purpose of the organization is like, we want to serve this client. We want this client to say, thank you. Phenomenal advice, phenomenal service. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If that's the goal, then then we're going to come back to the shop and say, hey, let's think about anything and everything that might meet that goal, right? And we're going to think of all kinds of stuff. Some of it may be bad, but our number one objective is that outcome. So if you Mm. tell people that's what we're trying to do, then you're going to get that Mm -hmm. kind of culture. If people think the way to get ahead is to always look smart, to always look Mm -hmm. professional, and that what matters Mm -hmm. at the end of the year is like my impressions of them, you know, how they're perceived, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Notice I haven't mentioned the client, right? (laughs) Then they're going to try to go around and be tight, conservative. You know, Mm -hmm. I just always have good ideas. I just, you know, I conform to the mold and then everybody's going to start conforming to the mold and the quality of your service is going to go down. So I think you've got to tell people what matters. You have to Mm -hmm. tell people what matters. And I think that's the last thing of this thing. And this one is striking to me. I'm like way over answering your question, Tisha. I love it. Keep going. But if you pause for a minute, I'll, I'll just do this experiment with you here. Because everybody says they, you know, customer comes first and, you know, they work in teams and, you know, everybody says that, right? But I want you to think for a minute of a business that actually, absolutely, absolutely every step of the way puts their people and their customers first and lets everything mm-hmm. else fall off of that. It's really actually quite hard mm-hmm. to think of a company where you say, those guys love the customer. Those guys mm-hmm. are all about me. Those guys mm-hmm. love their people. They support them. They're like people, people, people. There are actually very few companies like that. But honestly, mm-hmm. when you think of them, they're the best company. They're the right. companies you right. say, you know what? I love that company. You know, like I, I read a book at one point when um, in the early days of Ford, you know, they paid really well and it was a really super innovative company. This is like the 20s or something mm-hmm. like that. The guys who worked at Ford would sew Ford patches on the outside of their suit when they went to church. So people oh, sitting in church with a so suit on, but they put the Ford patch right on that arm on a suit. So, you know, I think if you treat your people well. You know, this is the funny thing. I think a lot of companies expect loyalty from their people, but they forget if I want them to love me, I kind of need to love them back. Right. And so they don't get up every day and think, how do I reinforce with people today? We care about them. How do I tell the clients we care about them? How do I design every system in the building to to reinforce Mm -hmm. that what I care about is great people and taking care of these clients? So there's a lot of internal systems. I think most Mm -hmm. leadership doesn't have the time or energy to go through every single system in their company and say, is that serving? the fundamental purpose of taking care of our clients and taking care of our people. Because, mm-hmm. you know, over time, companies get bigger. I think this is the problem with bigger companies. You get bigger, you get more systems, you get more processes, you got more things that can't be touched, and da, 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 or, you know, they get harder to fix. And that's where mm-hmm. they lose connectivity with those two core principles. So, mm, so much great in there. And 
one of the things that keeps coming up in different words when we talk to people who have who are a part of this shift in the energy industry from us being on our heels and disrupted to being the disruptor is this idea of failing. You're putting in the context of like, we got to get the bad ideas on the table so that we can find the good ideas in that mix. And then there's the same idea of failing forward, failing fast, of being dynamic in a way that encourages innovation, creativity, but also I hadn't really connected that to people feeling valued because actually our employees also, they want to be creative. They want to be at tables where they're throwing out ideas and it feels dynamic. And so I hadn't really connected those two dots of these innovative fail fast cultures with, you have to have a sense of safety, a sense of being valued, um, a sense that your ideas are wanted. So I love that you put those answers together. Well, now you're you're playing it back to me and I'm I'm recognizing, you know, a really, you know, obvious pattern, which is if I'm not comfortable that the organization values me, cares about me, wants me to succeed, wants to invest in me, wants to, you know, sees me as part of the team, then why the heck am I going to roll the dice and throw an idea out? Because if I make mm-hmm. a mistake, if I have the if I have the other feeling, which is, you know, nobody's loyal to anybody around here. I don't know. I got to watch it. I better stay in my lane. But this is at the other extreme. Mm-hmm. Think of that organization. What's the probability that that organization is going to come up with ideas that people are going right. to have a sense of like, you know, I just care about the company. You know, I just want to throw this out there. You know, I'm, I might look silly, right. but I'm going to throw it out there. They're not going to do that if they don't feel trusted, cared about, and that there's part of a bigger mission. And I think this is yeah. this is also really important. You know, when people make true sacrifice, there is a mission that they feel mm-hmm. is bigger than their job. Mm-hmm. If it's just mm-hmm. a job, if it's just a job, well, what am I doing? You know, I, I'm not yeah. going to like, you know, do something extraordinary. So uh, all this stuff. Well, is and really that goes for how, yeah, it goes for how uh, we serve our clients too, because we have to do similar to you, client service often means having ideas that the client might not like. So that's an even, like you have to care about them enough to say, we're going to tell you some things that you didn't want to hear. Like you, you hired us to help you with your ESG strategy, but that box checking exercise is not going to serve you that, you know, to, to go back to your beginning point that requires a certain kind of commitment and a mutual affection as well. You're right. You know, I, this, uh, a good friend and client who one time it was like a room of 10 or 15 people. And she said, you know, I just want to say thanks, Maynard, because there's no bad idea you are not willing to have in the interest <laughs> in the interest of providing us better service. Right. Because how many right. times are you in the room? How many times are you in the room when what should we do? There's, you know, a few choices. One of them is, you know, the, the safe, reasonable, pretty obvious mm-hmm. choice. And it's easy to let those conversations go. Right. Because, you know, mm-hmm. no, no, nothing outrageous is happening. But I really think, you know, people in our line of work, you have to challenge yourself to say, I know that's the right probably choice. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put another choice out there mm-hmm. that we're probably going to vote against, but I want us to think about it for a minute. Yeah. And, open and the if you're aperture. willing to do that, if you're willing to do that, I think it really, you know, it can make the first choice. You can refine it, maybe tweak it. So I, you know, I think that you do have to be willing to do that. And because, um, you know, but you know, the funny thing is with these cultures, a lot of people talk about culture, pick like an M&A, you know, like two cultures come together, mm-hmm. which culture is mm-hmm. going to win. The other thing that's interesting about culture is over time, people of a culture of a certain culture are attracted to companies that have that culture. It takes mm-hmm. years. Like every year you're adding people who were drawn to the culture you've created. So a 10-year-old company mm-hmm. has 10 years of people who've been 
joining because they liked that culture. So culture is mm-hmm. a deeper, more profound thing than you realize. Mm, it is. That's it's, really it's, important. It's, mm-hmm. it's baked into every person in the building. Well, let me use that to ask you the final question. You get to interview industry leaders and CEOs. What, what have you, in the last year or so with all this disruption, what have you changed about your own leadership style from what you're learning along the way? You know, it's a great question. I, I would, we all like to think that we're open, you know, opinions that are different than ours. And I think doubling down on making sure I'm really listening and thinking through you now an opinion that's different from mine, really letting it come all the way. Like in baseball, they tell you, you know, let the let the ball get fully into the into the batter's box before you hit it. So let that idea come all the way in before you start saying, I don't know, I don't know. So I think maybe doubling down on that. I think the other one that's been, um, and this has been kind of uh, the COBT discussions, but also the, you know, the world at large, you just get a better appreciation for data. Mm-hmm. You, you just increasingly want to say, you know, that's really interesting. Can I see the data on that? Like, could you mm-hmm. just tell me like how many, like what percent, like what are we talking about? And so mm-hmm. many of the problems in today's world would be, the discussion would be so improved by if you said, yeah, that's great. Can you show me the data? Could I, could I know, right. you know, for instance, I, I mean, I'll just not to throw in some of today's uh, tougher issues, but you know, the COVID thing has, has obviously mm-hmm. been a, a data um, thing that we all, you know, have needed better, more thoughtful. Can we please all look at the, let's, let's pause for a minute, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, the problems at the border. It's like, well, well, tell me how many people like give, give, show me a bar chart. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm trying to put it in perspective, you know, all these problems, right. whether they're social or political or economic or, uh, you know, the business problem. Everything gets better with data and, and discussion mm-hmm. around data. Because I, I think mm-hmm. the interesting thing is, you know, one of the one of the reasons we love COBT is we're just trying to get really rational this conversation about these issues. Like like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, everybody cares. Everybody's a good person. We're, we're all mm-hmm. just can we please and data having having to look at some data, raw data, not massage data, raw data can really help calm people down and just so I, mm-hmm. I would say, you know, first one is, you know, redoubling of, of listening to things that I disagree with. But a second would be just a even better appreciation of data and how useful it can be to a conversation and how it can bring people together, you know, raw, just unedited. Mm-hmm. Like, can we please look at the numbers? Let's, you know, join hands and take a look, you know. I, I love that because what you're spelling out is some of the philosophy that I've really come to understand is, which is if you want to have that conversation about data, you have to listen first because you have to create a shared understanding to make even space to have conversation about the data. So yeah. that's such a nice pairing that you brought together. So Maynard, thank you so much for joining me on the Energy Thinks podcast. Thanks for the really important leadership your work you're doing as a firm and with COB Tuesday. It's just a joy to get to have this conversation with you. Well, you're too nice. We we really have so enjoyed uh, getting to know you, uh, Tisha. And uh, I keep a copy of your book like right here on my desk. And sometimes I go grab it. And I and I grab that quote in particular where you say, uh, the weird reality is, you know, oil and gas companies, you know, we're down in the poll, you know, people don't like us like they used to, you know, all these things are sad and true. But then you put in that other quote, which is no companies, no industry, no group on the planet is better able to transform us and to be the heroes than that same industry. That was our episode today. Thanks so much to Maynard for taking time to share his worldview, his leadership insights with us. You know, it was a game changing insight for me was thinking about 
our energy innovation teams as the new version of the exploration department in our companies. We know how to do this. We know how to have a, a group and a culture that's thinking about what's coming next. I loved that. I'd like to know what you found to be game-changing insights. So reach out to me at energythinks.com backslash podcast and let me know. If you're enjoying this, please tell three friends about it, rate it. Um, it actually makes a huge difference in how other oil and gas leaders can find our podcast. Many thanks to Adon Rubio, Lindsay Gage, and Michael Tanner for making the Energy Thinks podcast possible. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler, wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good health.